Welcome back to the Purple Worm, a group podcast with four British blokes talking about all things RPG. And continuing our recent theme of myths and legends, we're going to be looking at ghost stories and hauntings this episode. And I'm going to be highlighting a few local legends from my area. So let's crack on with that. Every town's got stories about like hauntings and ghosts yep. and stuff like that. Um, now, my my own hometown of Burton Riley was obviously quite big when sort of brewing was like a massive industry, but there's it's sort of tapered off a bit now, and there's lots of like abandoned buildings and stuff. And obviously, with abandoned buildings, we we had like an an abbey in Burton, like one of the the last abbeys in Burton, like the Abbey of St Modwin and stuff like that, which has got legends associated with it. And there's supposed to be something ridiculous like. 250 sort of reports of different hauntings and I've obviously I'm not going to go through all 250 but I've got a few of them noted down here so there's the um, there's the ghost of Friars Walk School which is an old now abandoned building and randomly I actually went to a war games club that was held there sort of like way back years ago and it's supposed to be that an old headmaster, Reverend Green, is supposed to haunt part of the the town centre in the sort of streets around there, which is like smack bang in the centre of town. We're also supposed, supposedly, I don't know how true this is, but supposedly the last Christian martyr to be burned alive in England came from Burton. And um, there's a, one of these like micro pubs in Burton now called like, The Last Heretic, which refers to that legend. Oh. And then we've got numerous legends about sort of <clears throat> ghost monks and priests and stuff like that associated with the old like abbey site, which was obviously during the dissolution of the monasteries that was all sort of torn down. But one of the things I always like about the the sort of like the ghost stories is they're a nice way of sort of taking part of like the past of like the history of a place and sort of colliding it with the present, if you will. So I think in a, in an RPG context, which is more interesting? If I'm if I'm sort of there and I'm like, oh yeah, you're um you're a priest. You know that in such and such a year that the last martyr was burned alive in this town, and they were dragged through the to the town square and they were burned alive. And I just tell you that. Or is it more interesting that you you see this spectral procession? So heading through the centre of the town, mm-hmm. and you see like a, a sort of ghost version of this guy being burnt alive, and right. I don't, I don't really tell you. It's, it's again, it's that sort of show don't tell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You're you're actually showing, even if you, the ghosts don't interact with you, it's just like a, a a replay of historical events. It's more interesting, and then you can go about and investigate it yourself if you want to. But if you don't want to, you you can just leave it alone rather than me just having you sit there while I talk at you for ten minutes and tell you what the history of my setting is. But yeah, yeah I've, I've got my own ghost story. Oh, go on then. I, I don't often tell this, but years ago I used to, to, as you know, I was a copper, long retired. And on the when we worked on the night shift, we used to, I used to work in a village station and I used to work on my own. And at midnight, we used to meet up in one of the sister stations and we'd go there and about four or five of us would meet there and we'd have a brew and a, and a, a chocolate bar and have a natter and go on our ways. And we also used to meet at midnight, so... I go down to this old police station in Rabban. It's no longer a police station now. And uh, 
let myself in and I'm sitting there waiting for the lads to come and I heard the back door go and I heard the footsteps coming towards me and I said, all right, lads. And all replied. I thought, ah, yeah, okay, funny, funny. All right, lads. And the footsteps stopped. So I went to look. No sign of them. So I, I searched every room in the, in the building. No sign of them. I went to the back door. I opened the back door. The cars weren't there. Nobody there at all. I thought, this can't be right. And about 20 minutes later, the lads returned back. So I said, have you been playing a joke with me? No, I have no idea what you're on about. I said, well, I heard, I heard the back door go and I heard the footsteps. Oh, that'll be Henry. What do you mean, Henry? Oh, it's Henry the ghost. I said, what do you mean a ghost? There's no such thing as ghosts. Oh, yeah, things get moved around and we've all we've all heard him or things have fallen off. And then I, that was that. Anyway, years later, the police station was sold and the mate of mine, he uh, worked for the council and he, and he went up to the council to take over the police station. And uh, he said, oh, this used to be a police station, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, we know. He said, um, does anything strange happen around here? Funny you should mention it, they said. And they started telling these stories of strange things that had happened. But I mean, I was I never be- never believed in ghosts until that day. And I can't explain it. But who knows? Do they exist? Mm. It, it, it's another it's one of those interesting things as well where you sort of telling that story it seems far eerier than if you'd gone like oh i, I walked around a corner and i actually saw like a ghost because then you're like yeah. much as it would have been horrifying at the time we'd be like we all sort of roughly understand what a ghost is whereas it's almost the, the sort of like the fear of the unknown yeah. is worse than if you actually saw anything because as we were talking about earlier your own your own mind can sort of fill in those gaps. Well, that's what the old horror films used to do, wasn't it? Yeah. It would, it would leave the imagination of, of the watcher. You didn't see the guy, it just implied it. And that was far worse than actually seeing it. Well, yeah, I mean, how many of the sort of like the old films before they had like big budgets and stuff like that, where would you, in the old sort of like Quatermass sort of style films, mm. that someone would get killed off camera and all you'd hear is like a blood curdling scream as whatever horrible, no doubt, sort of globular sort of creature had killed them and obviously partly that was because they didn't have the budget to actually show the creature killing them and whatever and obviously the the, the rating for that film would have gone up massively if they had done but i always think it was it was almost worse because you could you could imagine far more horrible things yeah. occurring to that person mm-hmm. than they could have ever actually shown on the screen even with a massive budget yeah yeah, I mean, that's why your story of Reverend Green don't scare me, John, because I know exactly what happened to Reverend Green. He got killed with a lead pipe in the library. He's a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you should know. You're related to him, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, uncle, yeah. But I was, all right, then, if that, if that one doesn't scare you, yeah, let me tell you about the crying babies of Cherry Orchard, which is also ooh, a local that, legend. Oh, that sounds nasty. Now, don't know how true this is, but... We have a there's sort of like a there's like a remembrance gardens like that was planted like after the Second World War in Burton, and um, there's a a copse of trees nearby that are known as Cherry Orchard, and I remember hearing this when I was like at school and there's sort of like people like chatting about this, and legend has it there was a cult that used to, sort of back in bygone days that used to sacrifice uh, children by throwing them down a well that was in this cherry orchard area now as far as i remember because i've been in this area there isn't actually a well there but as with most of these stories i've heard it from so many different people who are like absolutely convinced that like this is true and there's a 
there's there's a apparently a, a tunnel running from this well that runs under a place and they used to meet in sort of underground chambers under this tunnel and whatever and it was always sort of like oh that they're active around the solstices and halloween and if you go there at those times you know you can still hear like the cries of their victims echoing from this well that doesn't exist but it, it almost got it's got to that point where it's such a, a sort of local legend although it's fallen off a bit now but i remember when i was younger even though there were, you could go to this place you could look and go there is no well here there's no evidence any has been ever filled in uh, secret tunnels yeah, um, can't, can't prove no but seems a little bit unlikely but it's so widespread that it's almost sort of taken on a legend of its own and you, you're sure like oh yeah a lot of people would be like oh yeah i heard like a, a a wailing through through like the trees when i was there near the solstice and you were like oh was that on that particularly windy night as you were standing amidst the trees <laughs> but but yeah i still remember like hearing people when i was younger sort of swearing that they'd heard like children crying and stuff like that when they've been going past there sort of around about halloween and stuff like that so th these legends they they do sort of take on a bit of a life of their own and the actual like truth or sort of evidence almost becomes like a secondary consideration and and i, I wonder how how many pubs made the legends and, and ghost stories up about their premises to get more punters to the door uh, yeah. yeah looking for but, it but i mean we um one of the one of the ones i want to talk about later um spring hill jack uh, that sort of became popular around about the time that like, penny dreadfuls were becoming popular in the victorian age it was when you know they first started having that mass marketed sort of readable media for like, the, the common person and obviously that did it a great deal to like codify and spread these sort of like legends which had all been like passed on verbally and a meme. Yeah. exactly yeah and i mean you only have to look at look at how many of those like ridiculous like ghost detective like shows that there are on various mm. tv programs nowadays or like you say internet memes being like a, a sort of latest form of that of sort of passing on the the essential bits of these information so i think even though sort of legends are often seen as something that's of the past you know it's it's an old tradition i think they're really still with us they've just sort of like as they've always done they've just sort of adapted and changed and they're now presented in and, different ways and a lot of authors have used these myths and legends for their books haven't they you of know, course yeah if you think of like the the solomon kane books i mean he goes around fighting myths and legends around the world and yeah, yeah. As an author, you can just take these myths and legends, and and, and as as we're going to say now, that you know you can use these myths and legends to, to populate your game. Why invent something yeah. else? And and um, and 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 the kids are passing around new stuff now. Of course, I mean you should get my kids started on Slender Man. They Ooh. will give you origin story after origin story about this character Slender Man, who is it was a, as I can understand a relatively new sort yeah. of internet horror creation uh but they're fascinated by him and they've heard dozens of different origin stories for him they'll tell you all about him yeah quite fascinating I, I um i like the layers the layers that you get with these stories just going back to the well something i've i've used in rpgs is the revelation that something was covered up and then it comes to light so like you know They've built those mem memorial gardens, say, and then you've had a, a sudden downfall of um, rain or you've had some some minor earthquake or something, and something gets revealed, of course, and everybody then goes, oh, yeah, now we get it. Yeah, they, yeah, they said 
they said about these kids being sacrificed in a well, but yeah. it didn't make a lot of sense because it was not a well. And then, oh, lo and behold, well, there's the well. Well, well, pet, well. Pet cemetery yeah. type stuff. <laughs> uh, is yeah. It, yeah. Cool. You know, it, it, it is a classic. And to be fair, if they was saying that example, they were building this memorial garden. You didn't need the well anymore. Probably, probably a good time to get it covered over when you're building that that memorial garden. So I bet it wouldn't take much um, digging around to actually establish whether that that well was there on the record. You know. Well, that's it. I mean, um, Dave was talking about Slenderman. Um, if I remember correctly, yeah. that was um, that was actually a, a creepy pasta originally, that's it. Yeah. which are like sort of short little horror stories that are. That are sort of made and are like posted on the internet and shared around. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean the the origin of it is almost trivially relevant now. Mm-hmm. I mean b- yeah. because it has a life of its own. Mm. Uh, as I say, my my children will give you they don't they don't know anything about that, but they'll give you six different origin stories for Slenderman. That's the that's the point I'm making. That is yeah. it's way it's way past that now. It is in their imaginary. Mm. Uh, it's 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 part of their mythology now, um, and 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 I mean and and that's that's actually the point that Eric Maple makes about the witches, you know that 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 probably it goes back to this one story about this spectral apparition riding around on a hurdle and crossing a river on a in a in a washtub. But two hundred years later, that's irrelevant. I mean, it's in the imaginary. It does make me wonder why anybody would go out and actually buy an RPG product, really. You you take that back, Colin. What do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean? We've got authors here. You're doing a amount of money. There's there's so much. There's so much out there, isn't it? Why would you actually turn to RPG adventures, even even if they're they're free? I I think, personally, for me, I mean, one of the... One of the things I look for in a book. I mean, I've got um, I've got a lot of the the GURPS like historical supplements. Mm. Now I don't run GURPS, however, all of those books are very well researched, but they present the information mm. because they know they're presenting to role players. They present it in a way so the stuff you want to get at first as a role player or as like a GM is like what they sort of they focus their attention on. So I think for me a a good for argument's sake sort of role play supplement is something that can draw on real life stuff but it never forgets that it need to present it in a way that's usable in your game whereas obviously a lot of these books have been talking about lore of the land stuff like that they are just presenting the tales now obviously you can as a gm you can take those tales you can work them into something that you can use in your game you can weave them in of course you can but the advance particularly if you're like a time time poor gm is that having a a good role playbook means that that sort of bit of it's done for you yeah and i i understand that but quite often them role play uh game books have a load of additional detail that you've then got to wade through whereas maybe like something like a just uh say the fabled coast there that one paragraph and i'm away with some pretty original thought. I wonder if sometimes by going to the RPG books first, we're somehow stifling our our inspiration and our creativity I, a little bit. I think it's we're... I think it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I think 
now all of us as like relatively experienced gems i think you're absolutely right we, we could pick up a book about myths and legends mm. where we could take what we want from it fairly easily we could mm. put it into our game no problems however i think if it had been me from like the first year or two when i'd first yeah. started gming mm. I wouldn't have had the confidence yeah, to, you wouldn't have been to, to just take it and just like put it into a game. Whereas yeah. going like this is already a game book, it sort of gave me the comfort. I mean, like I said, maybe yeah, it's, it's kind psycho of official. It's official. Yeah, it, it gave me that confidence. I'm like, oh, this is RPG content. I, I can yeah. just use. And I'd say that about the GURPS books. I'm 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 mixed about them because I've got loads of them and I've enjoyed flicking through them. But but yeah, I think the thing is they I mean they're not they're not scholarship. No, they're no. not. I mean, we we often credit them with excellent scholarship, but that's not their real virtue. Their real virtue is a work of translation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They've managed to they've managed to encapsulate something in the kinds of terms that you, as a gamer, want them in. You know, so you know these are the kinds of capabilities. Whether you're going to use them for this system or another system, yeah, yeah, these yeah, are yeah. the kinds of capabilities that this class, faction, category will have. Do you know what I mean? And they mm. they chop things up into those gameable, you know, ch chunks that you need. Uh, but but then but then but they I mean they're categorically not valuable for their scholarship. I don't. Think. Oh no! It's I mean that, it's that particular genre, that particular work of translation that they affect. Which the, the, the the way I like to look at it is it's like um it's like, let's say you wanted to buy a piece of furniture like a chair for your mm. house. Now if you've got the right skills. And you 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 know how to do it. You could easily go out, select a piece of wood, cut it down, sand it, put it together, varnish it, polish it, make a lovely chair for your home. However, if you've not got those particular skills, it, it's probably better for you, or certainly quicker and easier, if you go to a furniture shop and you find a chair you like, you buy it, you can put it straight in your room you're good to go maybe if you're maybe if you're a bit more confident or you're trying to save like say save a bit of money because rpg books aren't cheap maybe you go to like a sort of ikea place where you get some like the self-assembly stuff where you have to do like a little bit of the work putting it together but i would say you would have to have both the confidence and the skills just to go out look at a tree and go right i'm going to take some wood from that tree and i'm going to make myself a chair and that that's that's sort of the way I see the role play products. If you've got the confidence and the experience, yeah, you I'm not like I'm, yeah. I'm sure we all could just go to one of these books and just go, right, I'm gonna pull this little bit out of it, I'm gonna ignore that bit I don't want, I'm gonna put it straight into my game, boom, let's go. But yeah, I think I, I when you're starting out it's it's a nice yeah. sort of easy sort of in if you've got like a role play book that's sort of done some of the work for you. I, I definitely understand that. It's just that I wonder about that filter because there's a filtering going on because they're assuming they know what it is that you need to know and stuff. There's quite a lot mm. of assum assumptions going on, so you're getting fed stuff. And part of the reason that I started thinking about this was I was reading about Victorian London, and in a whole big book, one of the things that really stood out to me was the fact that when they were... Um, putting together Nelson's column they had um, a train of 20 horses to pull some of the stone and I thought to myself I've never heard of 20 horses being used for anything it blew my mind mm. I thought could you mm. imagine like just the spectacle of 20 horses dragging up bits of stone yeah. to build this yeah. thing and I and I just wonder you know would you get that in 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 an rpg product or would that just be a little detail that they thought wasn't necessary because 
different little details capture different people's minds. You mm. could have read that book and never seen that, or you might have latched onto it like me. And I just, I just Let, wonder. Yeah, now I'm with you. And let's not forget. Now I'm going to hammer Gerbs just because it's a sport that I have, <laughs> and that's going to create lots of controversy. But it's often, I mean, those Gerbs source books of which I have many, and I like flicking through them. They're always they're they're often referred to. So not always, but they're often referred to as one of the virtues of Gerbs. Whatever you think about the system, they had these wonderful source books which are rich with data. Let's not forget Gerbs needed them <laughs> because yeah, yeah. because what you needed in GURPS, it wasn't about the research, you know, and all those wonderful details that Colin's talking about, you need to know that kind of stuff. It was just that if you wanted to play it in any setting, you had to do a massive work of translation. It was not nearly yeah. as generic and universal as it made out because you always needed to go, okay, what? right, I need stats for the particular weapons of this setting. Okay, I need the particular spells that sorcerers are going to do here. Okay, I need the particular combat maneuvers that people could do. So you had, to, you had these immense works of, of application of the rules. Uh, which the source books did for you. And that's, oh, that's, that just amuses me. That often people say, well, I don't, don't like GURPS much, but I liked the source books. You only needed the source books because of the nature of the system. It's immensely, immensely crunchy system that had to be translated for oh, any yeah. of the settings that you wanted but, to but, apply but, this but, universal but what, system what a, what a good earner for, for, uh, for the company, though. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and they did sell. And that, that's the thing which I find mm. hard to understand about Ghost. But, yeah, it's huge. I mean, yeah. they, they made all those source books. Yeah, yeah I mean, do, very much to support what you're saying, Dave, I, I looked at, um, well, probably a few years ago now, I looked at the like, the GURPS Zombies book, which is like of, of the most recent edition. And it's basically your big book of all things zombie apocalypse. And I remember looking at it and flicking through it, going, oh, I wonder if I'll buy this. And as I flicked through it, I was like, there's not really anything in there that I don't know from having watched a ridiculous number of zombie well, films. Yeah, and I, was, I just, put it, just put it back on the shelf. Mind. I was like, no, I right, don't need it. Right. I haven't seen it, but I bet you've got, like, here's your stats for a stats. fast zombie. Here's your stats yeah. for a slow zombie. All your here's weapons. How to, here's different mm. ways of fighting zombies. Yeah, here's the different ways you can kill a zombie. Here's all your manoeuvres. On and on and on. Um, yeah, which which when I was much younger, I loved that. I've talked a while back. I had an interaction with with Jason about this. Jason nerds on the podcast where he was saying, like, when you're a bit younger, you're all about the crunch. You love yeah. the crunch. Mm -hmm. You can't get enough crunch. You get, you absorb one book of crunch and then you just want another book of crunch. Whereas now, I just cannot see. I, I just yeah. find it cynical marketing. And I don't want any crunch. I want to do exactly what Colin says. I want to be fascinated by something in a book or something I've watched on TV. I want to pull that immediately into my session next week. I don't know. I don't want to worry about anything apart from injecting that cool idea. And I think I, I think that came across with your podcast, Colin, with your lad when he he wanted more, didn't he? Where, where you you'd cut back and he I want more crunch. I want I want more detail. Yeah, yeah, he de he definitely likes that. I, I, like, I think that's, I, and I think that's the, the thing with the younger brain. It's learning, isn't it? And, and it and it wants more information. Yeah, they're soaking old. stuff up. Well, yeah. it, it it can. I mean, you yeah. you see an eight year old and they know all the dinosaurs. You know, yeah. the ten year olds read all the Harry Potter and he knows and, it inside out. They uh, they want that stuff. They can. They, and they and when you get crunchy to, brains. When you when you get to my age, my brain's full and think. Well, if I'm going to learn that, I've got to throw something else out because I've got no more capacity. In yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like my bookshelf. My bookshelf's yeah. full. I've decided I'm not going to put up another shelf or get any more bookshelves. Yeah. I will have to deal with the books I've got. 
must be terrible for you, Colin. Must be terrible for you, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know because I know you're not a big fan of books. I'm not, I'm not, mate. I'm not, mate. I, I can't even look at a book, mate. No, you got way, <laughs> you got way too much discipline for endless buying of books. Yeah. To, to, to be fair, much, much I've got. And if you're an audio listener, Johnny's sat in front of a massive shelf load of books. The worst thing is, Colin, you can't see. There's like three massive piles on, oh, there, like, on the floor, like. Uh, and, well and, and I still reckon, I still reckon when he's finished the, uh, doing up his garage, there'll be a few bookshelves in there as well. Oh no, they weren't. My wife's banned. <laughs> my wife's banned me from putting any books in there. Although I may have earmarked some space in like the little room that's currently full of all the stuff that's going in the garage. So. It's great, and as I'm looking across the shelves, I can see uh, fourth edition D and D. I can see a load of GURPS supplements. I can yep. see a children's Encyclopedia Britannica. Yep. I can see a load of nineteenth uh, century uh, pornography. Uh, yeah, it's all there. It's all there. It's a, it. it's a wonderful connection collection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of Dan Brown. Uh, all the Harry, he's got all the Harry Potters. The, 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 the weird thing is, I actually have, but they're on a shelf outside the <laughs> yeah, room. <I'm> joking. <laughs> and Bibles, I, Bibles. He's got twenty-three different translations of the Bible. That is, that is impressive. Uh, see, I do have to confess that I, I do only own one Bible, and it's a children's illustrated Bible that I've had since I was about three. Okay, so we have um, again has been on the sort of twitch chat before as like the best name as far as i'm concerned saggy jello 89 well saggy jello well it happens when it happens when you get older it happens to the best of us but um they're saying that another great creepypasta collection is the scp foundation sort of sort of a men in black agency which holds and hides entities it's a cracking site if you've not been been on it i don't know if you've any of you been on that but basically, it's a it's like a bit like a, a Wikipedia that anybody can add to, and what they do is people put up sort of like fake X file stories there, but they redact parts of it, and, and it's a cracking resource if you if you do like a, a sci fi or a horror game, it really is. Oh, great that yeah. Oh, the the cool. um, one I discovered was uh, some these warlocks or something warlock wiki or something like that, and it was oh no hippie hippie trails hippie trails or something like that and it was i was checking out the local site uh just down the road from me uh really interesting and i kind of think we could do multiple episodes on myths and legends yeah. and stuff it could almost be like a little shtick because well, it, um, it, it's, it's such a rich vein it's two hours to, to do two of them there you go i'll get surprise, my honesty surprise. i'd love to get my kids on that stuff like slender man which you guys yeah. know the the origin of it's not too many years ago but yeah, i'd yeah. love to get my kids on to explain th- what their network of beliefs looks like mm. around that like what that's become in their yeah, in yeah. their imaginary is quite fascinating it's quite fascinating mm. and it is it's so, super ripe for rpg inspiration as well man yeah. but some but sometimes it they, they take the myth and and they ruin it change it completely um, I think that's just I, the nature of the base isn't it really well that's it and that's what I'm going to talk about the, the much maligned kobolds and how D&D wrecks. and I'm afraid you'll have to wait till next week's episode to hear Pete telling us all about kobolds and how D&D ruined them because that's it for this episode we hope if you've enjoyed it you'll consider dropping us a voicemail on the Anchor app 
or you can leave us an email, purplewormpodcast at gmail.com. So from myself, Dave, Colin and Pete, it's goodbye for now. And until we see you next time, have fun whatever you're playing and watch out for those purple worms. Take care. Thank you.